You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Hey, welcome. Glad you guys are here. My name's Stan. Going to be lead pastor at Anthem Church. Do you want? Do you want to I just wanted to dance. Okay. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's exciting to be back. We're going to be in Stony Creek, I think, now until March, and so no more musical locations. And, and again, like Luke said, we've got those cars. We really want to keep things pointing ter- towards the birth of Jesus. And when you talk about Christmas, that is the reason for the season. So Christmas Eve service here would love to just invite people to be a part of that. And so hopefully uh, the worship band will start getting us in the Christmas mood with some music uh, moving forward. But again... Thankful you guys are here today and excited to just use that opportunity with the season. You know that that some people really come out Christmas and Easter to go to church, and so we want to capitalize on that and try and invite some people in. So um, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be talking about marriage today, starting in Ephesians 5 verse 22. And I faced two challenges when writing this sermon. One was just a food coma that comes with uh, Thanksgiving too much uh, turkey. And so that was a challenge. And the other thing is, is it seems like when you're getting ready to teach something, when you're studying it out, it seems like God especially just targets that that area is such a challenge that week. And I don't know if it's the Lord like challenging. I don't know if it's just Satan, what it is, but, but I'm just in all humility, I'm saying our marriage this week, my wife and I, it just had a challenge. Like it makes me not want to preach on like pastor death or something like that. I don't know like what would be inflicted that week, but, uh, but this week it was a challenge in our marriage. And so, um, we're going to break this down though, Ephesians five. And here's the question. If you're taking notes, you can even write down the answer to this. What's the point of marriage? You think about it, our culture is fighting for the right to be married. And it begs the question, what's the point of marriage? I tried to ask my daughters this this morning, and, uh, and Danica, who's five and a half, she said, well, it's people that love each other. I'm like, okay, that's good. But like, what's the point? Like, okay, they love each other, but, but what's the point to be married? And she just took off and ran around. I asked Hannah, I said, Hannah, and Hannah's uh, four and a half. I said, Hannah, what's the point of of people getting married, and she literally looks at me and just starts to cry and turns to her mother. And so I'm like, oh, dear child, like I didn't mean to stress you out. Uh, so they don't know, but hopefully God does. Um, so, and it's interesting, you talk about people longing to get married, being in ministry now for nearly 10 years. Uh, most of that was spent as a college pastor. And uh, when you're a part of a church that has a vibrant college ministry, when I was in Ames, we probably had 1,200 students on a weekly basis at college ministry in Cedar Falls. There's probably 350 when we left last year, and and that means a lot of weddings. I think the record was, I think I was a part of our officiating 14 different weddings uh, one summer. That's a lot of cake if you're keeping track, right? Like just wedding after wedding and uh, I'd oftentimes just ask in, in kind of the engagement counseling session is, what's the point of you guys getting married? Like, what's, what's the point? Because if you don't have a good answer to that, beg the question, why not just cohabitate? If, if 50%, statistically, 50% of marriages are ending in divorce, and, and I actually just saw something put out, I think it was by the Wall Street Journal, that number's decreasing, and likely because people are just 
cohabitating. We'll just live together until this doesn't work anymore. I don't know if at the end of that, if it feels any less damaging than a divorce would, but nonetheless, so many marriages are heading down this path of division and, and to think of the pain that that's causing. So it begs the question like, what's the point of marriage? Why, why even do this when so many of them like end in that? I, this is not in my notes, but can you imagine like somebody's like, hey, I've got a really good cruise. Uh, just 50% of the boats sink. You want to take it? And you're like, no, I don't think so. It's not a good trip anymore. Like it might be or it might not. Um, what does God say? And so uh, we see how this is getting played out in culture, but what does God's word have to say about this? And so here's the thing. As we look at Ephesians 5, it doesn't matter who you marry, this is how it should be done. So no matter who you're married to or, or who you might end up marrying, the Bible, what we're looking at today is going to tell you this is how it's to be done. Regardless of who, this is the how. And so we're starting in uh, chapter 5, verse 22 of Ephesians. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself his savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Okay, do you see the, the, the command? What's the command? Submit. Submit to your husbands is what he's saying here. So let's define submit. Submit. Um, it's word it means voluntarily placing yourself under someone else's authority, supporting, encouraging, nurturing someone else's leadership. It, it's placing yourself under someone's authority. So we are called biblically, everyone, men, women, children, to submit to the governing authorities. And so what that means is we place ourselves under them. We, we encourage, we build up, we pay taxes, we don't break laws. Um, so we're, we're encouraged to submit to their leadership. We're going to look moving forward how employees should submit to their employer. Children should submit to their parents. But, but here he's calling us, and we're all called to submit to God, right? Everyone's called to submit to God. Be, place yourself under his authority. And so wives are uniquely called here to submit to their own husband as you submit to the Lord. And let's start with the easy part there. He says, Submit to your husbands as you submit to the Lord. So what does submission to God look like? Well, it's daily leaning in, praying, God, what would you want for me? Lord, not my will, but, but your will be done. And so this dependence that you have upon God as you submit to him, you want to learn his plan. You want to know what he has. And so that's why we read his word. That's why we, we pray and seek him and get counsel is because we want to obey God. We want to lean in. And we can do that. It's a joyful process to submit to the Lord because we know God has our best interests in mind. In fact, if we can just understand that, and then usually the only time we get burnt is when we step outside of what God would have for us. And so we, we can joyfully submit to the Lord because we know he has our best interests in mind. Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know that God causes everything to work out together for the good of those who love God and are called according to the purpose for them. And so submission to the Lord, he's saying, your submission, your husband, should be that as to the Lord. Now, women, I just 
telling you, now brace yourself because we're going to turn a corner here. We're going to talk about the first part of that command. And some of you, like, there's this reaction. We're like, uh-uh. Like, we're, really? <laughs> it's like every morning I wake up and, and in my email, uh, there's, you know, you've received 12 new pins from Pinterest, you know? And my natural reaction is just to click that thing and delete it. And some of you are like, why is he getting emails from Pinterest? Don't worry about it, right? <laughs> but like, there's this, there's this, I don't, I just want to dismiss what it is. And so here's the thing. This is God's word, God who knows what's best. And so God is saying, submit to your husband like you submit to the Lord. And for some gals that are like, that doesn't bother me a bit. Praise God. Because I'm saying that's not by nature what goes on in women. Because I'm saying clear back to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to see that even with Eve, that this is part of the, the curse that, that women are naturally going to want to assume the role of the husband. And I want you to understand, because some people are like, well, this is thousands of years ago. It's just cultural context. Let me help you understand the cultural context. This is written to the people of Ephesus. If you're here with us in the start, these people were pagans. They were witches. Like they literally got together millions of dollars worth of witchcraft books and burnt them, right? These weren't, it's like you take uh, the dark arts of like New Orleans, kind of everything that surrounds that and like the hardness of people out in Seattle and combine that. And I imagine that's a little bit what Ephesus was like. Even when you start talking about, well, okay, even if they're hard people, my guess is that women in that culture, Paul's going to write to Timothy, who's a young pastor in Ephesus. And he's going to write first and second Timothy and first Timothy two, he's addressing this again Apparently, there were some strong women in that context. And so you have to remove yourself of thinking like, oh, he's just writing to a bunch of gals in long jean skirts and hair buns. And sorry if that's your style, but, but that's not the kind of women that he's writing to here. This is not the, the crowd that is receiving this letter. I'm guessing there were some very strong capable women. And again, in first Timothy two, he's going to like, I know you're strong and capable, but maybe you shouldn't be up pastoring people and teaching from the stage. That's the kind of women that are, so you, you want to dismiss this instantly. And again, we're going to see at the end that he appears to not even culture, but he's going to go back to created order. This is how it's to be. And so it's a hard command for a number of reasons. And again, I've alluded to it. Genesis three, he says this, he says, uh, to the woman, this is in the curses. So he curses the serpent. He curses man and says, hey, you're going to work the ground. It's going to produce thorns and thistles. And he says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Anybody ever witnessed a natural birth? Okay, that curse is a reality, right? It is not a pleasant process. And he says, and in your pain, you should bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. What he's saying is, clear back, one of the curses, one of the side effects of the fall is that women are naturally going to want to assume the role of being the head in charge of the family. And it leads to this broken down um, gender roles, which oftentimes looks like the sitcom wife. Any of you out there, pagans, watch TV? Uh-huh, right? You watch this... It's hard to find the exception, but you start looking through uh, the shows that we see on TV. 
Clear back from, uh, I used to have a little black and white TV and there was not many channels, but Roseanne, anybody remember that show of yesteryear? Okay, that's a sitcom wife, the king of queens. Um, You start looking at the Simpson family, right? Marge Simpson having to control Homer. Um, Even like the gals on the Big Bang Theory, right? In all those contexts, the husband is not the man in the relationship. He's just a boy. He's just another one of the children. And the wife has got to like get him whipped into shape and, and really control the family. You know what I'm talking about? It, show me the exception on TV where the man is really truly leading the house. It's clearly the women and all these things. And they've got to be sassy and direct in order to accomplish that. And so... That's what we see happen in the sitcom wife. And here's the thing is I can empathize with those gals. Go back to the garden. How did all this happen, right? There is a a serpent, a giant snake talking to Eve. Anybody know where Adam was at? He was right there. Right, Men, we're going to rail on you a little bit later in this text, but, but you think about it, that this is brought on early on, clear back in the garden because the man is just sitting back and he didn't think that maybe with his wife talking to a snake that he should interject. He's just like, I'm just... And that's why when the Lord comes to the, the, the garden, he says, Adam, where are you? <laughs> You're going to be held accountable for what just took place. And so... I get it, women, that that men can just be this lazy oaf. And this is idea that Luke had this illustration. It's like you're sitting in a car and the man's in the driver's seat and he's supposed to be driving the stinking vehicle. He's like, no, I'm just going to. And so I get it that the laziness of men has caused women to say, well, somebody's got to think about finances in our house. Somebody's got to figure out how to discipline the kids. And so women just grab the wheel. I can empathize with you and say, I understand that the lack of male leadership would absolutely tend somebody to drive somebody to say, somebody's got to grab the wheel. The serpent's talking. Somebody should talk to him, I guess. While I can empathize with it, it doesn't make it right. And here's the reality is, is what gets put on display by that grabbing the wheel, that kind of sitcom wife is coercion, it's nagging, it's manipulation. You're forcibly moving things around in order to get the desired response. I don't know if that's love, or at least not as what God would call us to in terms of a genuine love. And so while I can understand that, it doesn't make it right. And so I wish... Somebody could have been in the garden, clear back when, and when that servant starts talking, just put your hand on to eat, you know, like this is a teacher trick, you just put their hand on your leg, you know, somebody like that, Eve, don't. Let's see what Adam does here. Because in stepping out, in, in, in responding, in taking that opportunity, you ensure that the man is never gonna take that opportunity. And so what would it look like, gals, to, to get behind them, thrust them into leadership, Help that guy grab the wheel. And I say help, not actually grab the wheel with him because I think there's some, another camp of why this, wives, submit to your husband. Why that's hard 
is because some guys are like, well, why can't we just both grab the wheel? And that's a school of thought. It's called egalitarianism. It's, it's this idea that, that in order to have equality, we must have the same roles. And so egalitarians say, hey, we're equal, and so that means we can have equal roles. If you want to drive the car, if I drive the car, we both drive the car together. And that sounds pretty good. It's just not biblical. <laughs> how, how do you deduct that from wives, submit to your husbands as you submit to the Lord? Right? That's not what submission to the Lord looks like. It's not like, okay, God, you have your opinion. I kind of have mine. We're going to stomp this out a little bit. And I'm going to you know, cross my arms and huff and puff. And if you don't give in, then I'll just kind of roll my eyes, scoff, and, and, and go along with it. That's not submission. I don't know what that is, but by definition, that's not submission. You can't just redefine submission. And so this thought of egalitarian where in order to have equality, you have to have the same roles in both people. Pastor Tom, I love this. He would say it like this. Because what you're talking about is is a two-headed household. And Pastor Tom would say, anything with two heads is a monster, (laughs) right? You, You... you might be able to have two heads, but it's not a good thing. And it's not submission. The church submits to Christ and says in verse 24, wives should submit to their husbands and everything. And I think there's this response. You hear submission and you hear inequality, that somehow the husband is greater. And let me be painfully clear. I'm not saying that, and the Bible is not saying that. Clearly, we see throughout all of Scripture, men and women are equal, They have different roles, but they're equal. And I can't think of any better illustration to kind of debunk this than what you see in the Trinity. Is Jesus any less great as God the Father? Or is the Holy Spirit any less great as God the Father or Jesus? No, right? They're they're all God. That's the Trinity. So they're, they're all equally God. They're all equal, yes? Okay, do they all have the same role? Did the Holy Spirit go to the cross and die? No, that's, that's the role that Jesus played. The Holy Spirit's gonna be our helper, our, our, our counselor. And you have God the Father, so they're equal, but they play different roles. And even Jesus modeled submission. He told the Father as he prayed with this, this prayer in the garden, he said, not my will, but your will. He's saying, Lord, I want this cup to be taken from me, but not my will, but your will. And so Jesus is going to talk as we study in John uh, for the college students about how he submits to the Father. And he says, the Holy Spirit's going to submit to me. It's the same word, same language. And so even within the Trinity, you see this modeled and no one is less valuable in the Trinity. Does our society absolutely, our culture say that you're less valuable if your role is submitting? Yeah, they might, but are you going to go with culture or are you going to go with the Bible on this one? And so God not only commands submission, he displays it through the Trinity. And here's the reality is I think another objection is that there's a fear that, that this will be taught and men will use this, this Bible text to misuse their position of leadership and they'll create a legitimate fear that revolves around 
uh, enslaving women or belittling them, even assault or abuse. And if that's a genuine thing, if that fear is a reality, I'd say I would love to have that conversation with you and then ultimately with your husband. Our leadership would love to have the conversation. That's not at all what he's talking about here. We're gonna talk about what it means for a man to, to, to love, but if this verse is being used so as to push down, to, 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 to kind of quelch a, a woman's voice and role, no. I mean, even as I prepare this, when I look like what it looks like for a wife to submit, guys, my wife, she... She's a 4.0 full-ride law student, right? She is a strong woman. You can be a very strong woman and be submissive to your husband. And so again, I want you to, to throw out this kind of box that you might have it in and see what God might have. And so here's the thing. And I would just say this for the college gals that are here. And I hope that some of them that are gone on break can listen to this. But I'm telling you right now that the guys that, that might pursue you, they're at their best behavior right now. <laughs> they're at their best in the dating process. And here's the reality. If you see signs, when it, you have to understand the weight of this. If you're seeing signs of, of how a guy's not leading you, not loving you, maybe his anger is flaring up, I would just tell you, get out now while you can. Because to, to this command doesn't seem to have you know, qualifications like put on it, like, oh, submit to him so long as he's a good guy. Again, we're going to break that down, but I would just charge you gals, submit to a good guy, because right now you have the opportunity to help choose who that is, and don't get yoked up with a guy that is a deadbeat, because he's not going to get any better on this, right? Here's the reality. I don't have time to cover every objection, but I think First Peter kind of embodies them all. Some of you gals, again, no matter who this informs what, 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2 say this. In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. We see that, again, it's outside of this context by a completely different author, Peter. He says, submit to your husbands, own husbands so that even if some disobey the Christian message, that's as, even if you're a, a believer, you follow Jesus, you're a Christian and you find yourself married to a man who's not a Christian, what he's saying is submit to them, even if they're not a Christian, so that they may be won over without a message by the way their wives live when they observe your pure and reverent lives. What he's saying, again, when you talk about this mission, what he's saying is it's such a powerful thing when a woman submits to her husband as the Lord places herself under her leadership, uh, how pure and reverent her life is, then an unbelieving, callous man can come to repent and know Jesus without a message. He says, I love that. He's like, what is displayed is more powerful than what could be taught from a stage. And again, to, to, to bring it all in, why? What's the point? is that in doing marriage this way, it's gonna put the gospel on display. And so here's the reality is that, that Jesus has set the example. How is it that a woman can submit? Where can a woman like find the strength? 
Understanding what Jesus has done, how Jesus submitted to death, even death on a cross, by looking to the gospel, that is looking to Jesus, we can find the example and understanding that Jesus saved us from hell, has made a place in heaven for us. The gospel is, is how a woman can submit to even an ungodly man. And I'd say if, if Peter is writing that to women that are in households with unbelieving husbands, what all the more would he say to the women that, that have husbands that are, are legitimately trying to pursue God in terms of what their life should look like in submission? And here's the reality, gals, is the, the ability to love your husband in that submissive way is going to directly stem from your understanding of who God is. I mean, my wife made that very clear to me. She's like, my motivation to follow your leadership and place myself under solely and directly comes from my understanding of who God is. Because she's saying, I'm not ultimately submitting to you. I'm submitting to the Lord. I know that God is over you. God is in charge of you. And so I'm trusting God. My ability to follow your leadership shows my ability to trust God in God's plan, in God's word. And so, gals, if you're going to be able to do this, I'm telling you, the gospel is going to inform how you're to do it. And through doing it, the gospel is going to be put on display. If we're taking note, I would say this. This is kind of the overarching message. Is the gospel informs marriage roles. And through living those out, the marriage roles then put the gospel on display. Men, you're next. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, we can just go home now. No, no, we're going to keep preaching. Verse 25. Again, these are said in the same letter, in, in the, perhaps even in the same breath. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blameless. Okay, one of the first things you'll notice is there are considerably more verses. Perhaps it's because men are considerably thicker skulled, right? He's going to use a little more words to get through. But I think there's, there's, it suggests a weight to what he's saying here. What's the command, men? It's to love your wives. This idea of love, and, and unfortunately, in, in the English language, that word is so devalued, right? You can say, like, I love Mountain Dew. I love hunting. I love football. I love my wife. One of these things is not like the other, right? They're, you're using the this, this same word to describe those things, but you can mean, hopefully, you don't love Mountain Dew like you love your wife. And so God's word's not going to allow for this command to be cheapened. What does he say? He says, love as Christ loved the church. Okay, <laughs> Now we're getting a frame of reference. How did Jesus love the church? Well, Jesus ministered to those around him. Jesus would draw people out with questions. Jesus would pray for the church, oftentimes withdrawing. He'd stay up all night praying for the church. In John 17, we just see this prayer this, that he's praying for the church. He's saying, love your wives like that. Jesus 
serve the church. You, you think Jesus is, is hours away from going to the cross. And I believe that he, he knew full well that, that his disciples, whom he'd walk with for two and a half, three years, were going to desert him. But they would do it with clean feet. Because Jesus got down at the Last Supper and washed the feet that would ultimately flee from him that night. Love <laughs> like that. Jesus loved the church so much, even that as a church rejected him. How fickle was the, was the, the people or Hosanna as he's coming in on donkey? Oh, you're the best. And then all of a sudden, crucify him, crucify him. And Jesus, from the cross, in excruciating pain, would pull himself up so he could get a breath. And with the breath, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Men, you need to love your wife like that. No, you're sitting here like, I don't know who got the, the harder command here. I don't think it's a comparison thing, but, but that is a, is a weight to, to love in that way. And I think, men, we, we hear, okay, we need to be the head of the household. That means we need to take the wheel. You want to know what taking the wheel looks like? It means loving like Jesus loved. And oftentimes we think of, of taking the wheels as leadership and, okay, here we go. It's like, you want to lead? Then lead how Jesus led, and he led out of just a love. And here's the thing is I want to put this in a frame of reference for you, okay? So you have Jesus hanging on a cross, being crucified, that's kind of up here. Men, after your wife cooks a meal, to put your dish in the dishwasher is not here. <laughs> your wife might react like it's up here, but, th but that's really, I mean, down here. When I go to Ponchero's and I pay $8 for a burrito, I have to do my dish. How much more after my wife cooks, should there be an eagerness and a willingness to, to put my dish away? And I'm telling you, in all humility, unfortunately, me putting my dish away is perhaps one of the best ways I could love my wife. If I probably start doing that on a more regular basis, that might cause her to tear up. And that's pitiful. <laughs> that shouldn't be like the, the culmination of my love for her, but I feel that, that failure to lead out in love has so reduced the mark in that way. And here's the thing is, is guys, I, I think it's easy to say, oh, I really love my wife. I would take a, a bullet for her. That's a fairly easy process. You just kind of jump in front, right? Like, but dying to yourself and coming home to serve your wife, man, Jesus did more than die for the church. He lived for her. He's saying, I'm glad that you'd be willing to die for your wife, but will you live for here? And here's what I feel like it practically comes down to, is men, when you work and you come home, you're exhausted. Perhaps you're emotionally tapped out, but my six-year-old, four-year-old, two-year-old baby, they don't know that. I don't think they actually care. They don't know what's going on today. And I know what it's like to come home just exhausted or, or burdened. But here's what he's saying. If we're going to love our wives like Christ loved the church, what I believe is that's, that's digging deep. 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, let us not love with word or talk, but with actions and in truth. What I think that practically looks like is coming home, 
sitting down the bags and going to my wife saying, how was your day? Leaning in, loving her. Maybe it's sitting down the bags and saying, is there something I can pick up, something I can do? Men, does that not fight against every fiber in your body that says, I just want to retreat. Like I, we have whole caves set aside that are just for men where we can just go and maybe it's, I just pull out my phone. I just want to zone out, veg out. Maybe it's, it's computer or TV or something. What is kind of grinding on? Is that sin is so deeply embedded that came from your great grandpappy Adam, clear back in a garden, And it's that sin of laziness. It's that sin of deferment. And what I believe God's word is calling us to is to repent of that and get to stinking work. That that if we look at the example of how Jesus loved the church, I don't think there was a day off where he's like, I'm just going to. It's just this constant bombardment of, of love. And I'm telling you, I don't think you can do that in and of yourself. Some of you guys are are, are feeling this way, and I feel like I can speak more to this. Being a man, it's like, I don't have the strength to put in those kind of hours and come home and keep doing it. I'm saying, I I don't think you do. And I think it's going to create a dependency that you need the Lord, and so you need to be praying as you pull your vehicle into the garage, Lord, I'm about to go to work again. Would you please give me the strength that it's going to create a dependency just like the women. Your ability to live out this command to do it is going to say everything about your understanding of God and the gospel and what he's done. Your ability to dig deep and to love like that has to come from Jesus. And if both people are looking to Jesus as their example, both people are looking to the gospel, it's not going to wait and say, well, I'll love you as soon as you love me. I'll do this as soon as you... No. It's game time all time because we're looking to the gospel, what God has done. So the gospel, who God is, informs our marriage roles. And men, when you love your wife like this, it's going to put the gospel on display. He's going to go on to say, in the the same way, husbands, love your wives as your own bodies, verse 28. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own body or his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. He he amplifies as many as he's going to say, love her like you love your own body. There should be an intuitiveness. Nobody's just going to beat their body with a hammer. No, you take care of it. You know what your body needs. I, personally, I like sugar in all forms, right? Cakes, pies, soda, like um, cheerleader coffee drinks. You know what I'm talking about when I say the cheerleader ones, like the ice, mocha. I was at Dunn Brothers last week, and I was like, I'd like one of those cheerleader drinks, right? The ice mocha with all the sugar and whip. And I got to the counter, and like they had the thing there. And she's like, I'm sorry, we ran out of whip. And I think the barista could like see the disappointment on my face, and as I looked at it, and she's like, but I could go make some and put it on there for you. I'm like, yeah, why don't you do that? This thing's liable to taste like coffee if you don't. And so if you could just get some whip on there. And so here's the thing, though, is that I'm, 
know my body well enough to know when I've had too much sugar. My dad used to call this thing gut rot. You know what I'm talking about? We're like, I need a glass of water and like an apple, like something to offset all that's sloshing around in here. You know your body in that way, right? He's saying, you should know your wives so intimately, so intuitively that that you know what they need, that you can be connected with them in that way. We're going to see, Paul would write to the Thessalonians and say, to that church, he'd say, we dealt with you as a mother deals with her own children. You know, we were, were there and encouraging, comforting, and urging. And so this reality, men, that, that our wives, they want us to be present. They want us to know them. And I'm saying, they want that because that's what God wants, and that's what is being commanded here in Scripture. It's not just enough to do good acts when they ask. He's saying, you should know them in such a way, so intimately, that you're a step ahead and you're loving them without ever having to be asked. And that's the bar that's being set. That goes so far from the fa- in the face of that sitcom wife and that oath of a husband to really following the example of Christ. He's going to go on. So I'd say this, again, those taking notes, gospel informs the role of a husband, and being that godly husband is going to display the gospel. If we could love our wives like that, it's going to display the gospel. And Paul ends in verse 31 through 33, says, Therefore a man should leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let his wife see that she respects her husband. That first quote, 31, comes from Genesis chapter two. And again, that's where I say it's a creation thing, not a culture thing. He goes all the way back to the first man and first woman, and he says, this is why that the two would become one. So it's a creation thing making this command timeless and he appeals to created order. I asked earlier, why did God give us marriage? And I think it's a twofold response. I think in the covenant of marriage, it pushes you and drives you to be connected with God, connected to the gospel. I think it sanctifies you and makes you more like Jesus. I think that's Not the primary reason, but one of the side effects of doing marriage well is it drives you to the Lord. Like those moments in my truck in the drive, like, Lord, I need you. That dependency that you have, that's one of the side effects of marriage. I think the primary reason that we see from this text, and he says it at the end, is it's going to put the gospel on display. The people might not understand who Jesus is or what he's done, but when he sees a couple living this out and the husband loving the wife so intuitively, so deeply, and the wife submitting to the husband, that that flies in the face of so what is in our very sin nature that it causes people to to ask the question, how, why are you able to do this? And thus displaying the gospel. Does that really work? One of the most popular shows on HGTV is the show Fixer Upper. <laughs> I, I guess most of you don't live under a rock apart from Luke, who'd never seen this show. And we started talking about this. But um, the show follows around Chip and Joanna Gaines. There's this couple from Waco, Texas, and they, um, 
do like total makeovers on homes. They, they have a couple and they drive around and they uh, do fantastic work. And I don't believe anybody is surprised when they find out that this couple is a Christian couple. Now, they don't do the, the stereotypical thing where like they pray at the end of the show or, or they're not wearing like the, the really corny like Jesus t-shirts or anything like that. But the way that this couple interacts is such an awesome thing. Here's Joe, this, this strong woman, but let, yet submits to Chip's leadership. And here's Chip just full of joy, leaning in to serve his wife, oftentimes redoing work or whatever it is, to, to love his wife and, and to carry that out. And so this couple so uh, puts Jesus on display. In fact, Matthew, one of our guys in the church, said went to their store in Texas. And uh, to, the point is, people so want to be around this couple that to get in their store, to spend your money, to buy their products, was like standing in line at an amusement park where the line to get into the store like wrapped around. I'm saying people so want to be around. Did you not want to be Chip and Joe's friend? I certainly do after watching a few episodes. Like you so want to be around those people. I'm saying there's something so attractive about a godly marriage, marriage done right, that is just appealing that, that people would line up like an amusement park to I perceive they're not there to buy a candle, but they're there in hopes to, to catch a glimpse of this couple that is doing marriage so well. Marriage done right, relationships done right, should be a healthy display of the gospel. And it's one of God's greatest tangible expressions of the gospel that he's given to us. He's saying that's this mystery that's been revealed that Christ's love for the church and the gospel puts that on display. As I invite the band up, I, I just want to <laughs> kind of close out. I think some people in here, you got some wrestle to do. This is new thought. And again, I'm saying it's not my sermon. That's God's word. And if you don't like it here, I'm saying the theme runs throughout all of Scripture. And is your problem with the command or how it's abused and how it's been played out? Because I'm saying God's command, if done well, is a beautiful thing. Man, I don't want you leaving here because I think you got some of the hardest challenges ahead of you thinking, I just need to buck up and work harder. Again, our ability, both men and women, to actually live out this role has everything to do with our love and our understanding of who God is and what he's done. I just want to remind us yet again that, that Jesus loved us so much, that God loved us so much that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, that, that those who were dead and far off in a broken spot, that prodigal that has wandered away, God has lovingly pursued us and brought us back and given us hope and given us life. That informs our ability now as people that have been brought back redeemed how to live this out your ability to love your ability to submit is going to stem from your understanding of who God is in his goodness I'll pray and we'll respond in song here God we do 
We love you, and we just pray that, Lord, you would reveal more to yourself. As we perhaps even set apart this time this afternoon to to search your word, Lord, would you reveal more of yourself to us through worship, through our connection groups, through our Bible reading, through prayer. God, would you anchor us to you so that we could put the gospel on display and certainly put the gospel on display through our marriage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to do communion now. And, uh, and so what that looks like here at Anthem Church is that we got a couple stations set up and you can um, head on over to the communion table. And if your spouse is here, I would encourage you, if you need to have a little powwow before you do communion, whatever it is, to, to love them and have that conversation. And then when you're ready to break that, if you're one of the, the single people here, and maybe you've got relationship past, I just want you to understand where the bar is set. And the bar is Jesus. That's what you should be holding out for. Is a man or a woman that is gonna look to and love like Jesus. That's what God would want for you. That's his best. I'm saying as a daughter, as a son of the Most High, that's what I believe you deserve because of what Jesus has bought us back from. Again, when we're ready, you just take the, the bread, break it, and you can dip it and take communion there. Again, if your spouse is here, I encourage you to do that with them.